loving hearing all the chatter, the different conversations going on. And there'll be a chance for you at the end of the service to continue with those conversations. But it is so lovely to have Andy back with us this morning at Words. Oh. You even get a round of applause. I guess, yeah, I, I, I heard last week that Phil said there was a guest speaker coming this week, so I'm so sorry that it's just me. Um, for those of you who know me, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I guess I am a guest speaker, but... Um, That's yeah. it. It'll be half and half, won't it? Some people are like, it's Andy, and others will be like, it's Andy. That's right, exactly. But yeah. um, you'll get to know him as he speaks. But three years ago, we sent, in the middle of COVID, middle of an epidemic, um, Andy and Rach and their children, Tibby and Caleb, went to St. Francis in Mackworth, just a few miles away, to plant a church. And it's incredible what God has done there through Andy and the rest of the team and what has grown. And Andy's going to share a few of those stories this morning. But it's really lovely. They are still so much part of the wider church family here. So it is fantastic to have you back today. And can I pray for you? as we start. Father, I want to thank you for Andy. I want to thank you again for his faithfulness in going um, to Mackworth and for all you have done there. And Lord, I want to thank you for who Andy is, for his heart and his passion for you, Jesus. And I pray that as he speaks this morning, will you take his words, will you open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us, God, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jenny. No, it's really lovely to be here. It's like that kind of feeling which feels familiar, but also a little bit different. Twelve years ago, in September, was a moment that changed my life. You see, I'd never been to university. I left school. I went into work. I didn't go to uni. I had never left the church that I grew up in, um, and I'd never lived outside my home area. I, I lived at home, and then Rachel and I got married 20 years ago this month, which is a bit nuts. Um, and then we, we, we moved out, but we'd never moved out of that area. And 12 years ago, we moved to, we moved to Cambridge so I could start vicar training. Now, if you've ever been to Cambridge, you'll be aware that it is very old. Everywhere you go, there's a college of something, or there's a statue to somebody. It is very flat, which is can be quite nice, but also there's, there's no mountains or hills, and it's just full of bikes. Everywhere you go, there's bikes. There's bikes here, there's bikes there, there's bike racks, and all sorts of things. And you see, although I'd grown up, like most people, and had learned to ride a bike, it had been a very long time. I'll be honest, like I just, it just wasn't something I had done probably since I was, not like that, but probably like a teenager. And the way to get from, get from home to college and then from college to other lectures was to ride a bike. And I think I had been scarred by commuting in and out of London and seeing actually a lot of bike crashes in and around London Bridge. I was like, no, I don't really want to do that, but I had no option. And uh, anyway, there was this kind of big fear. And I don't know about you, but a lot of us feel very similar about sharing Jesus. We're, maybe we're aware that's kind of what Christians are meant to do, like we're meant to share about Jesus, but we're afraid of crashing. You know, like actually, you know, you're getting into a conversation and not knowing what somebody's going to say or them asking us difficult questions, and we're just afraid of the crash. And as a church, I understand you've been looking at 1 Peter over the last few weeks. If you've not been here, don't worry. Tonight, this morning will make sense if you haven't. But you're kind of in that um, bit of the scriptures. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, 
if you could turn to the book of 1 Peter. And just to say, if you're new to the Bible, um, then the Bible's not just one book. It's 66 different books of different sorts of writing. There's history and poetry, there's prophecy, and there's letters in there. So if you could have it open up to 1 Peter, and uh, we're going to be looking at two different bits, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, and then we're going to look at another few bits. And just to say, this is the only place we have reliable information about God. Okay, so really, really important. And if you don't own one, come and speak to me or Jenny or one of the people on team. We would love to give you one of these because we do believe that reading this book can change your life. So you want to turn to 1 Peter 2, um, and I think it will come up on the screen as well. So it's 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. Just say so this is Peter writing after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and he's writing about how we kind of do the Christian life. He says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Do keep that open in front of you because we're going to be working our way through it. Now I want to just highlight a few things at the beginning, before we get onto the main stuff. Verse 11 begins with, dear friends. And it sounds nice, but it's a little bit underplays what some of the older translations say. Older translations say, beloved, beloved. And that, for me, expresses a much deeper sense of Peter's care for those he's writing to. Dear friends, like, yeah, mates, like, you're all right, but beloved. And before we get on to doing anything for Jesus, I want you to know this morning, you are beloved. Knowing before we do is so important. So we want to start there. Peter uses the phrase in verse 11, foreigners and exiles. And recently I was chatting with a friend of mine who doesn't come from this country. He's lived here now for about four years. And he said, like, I understand British humour now. I know how to get about. I know what goes on. But I don't feel I really belong here. He still feels like a foreigner. And I want to say to you this morning, if you feel sometimes like in the place that you work, your friends at uni or college or school, wherever it is, you feel like, actually, I don't quite fit here, that's okay. Because you're a foreigner. You're an exile. And in fact, if you always feel you belong, there may be a problem. Because actually we're called to live for a different kingdom, a different Lord. So if you feel like a foreigner in exile, don't worry, that is normal, that's the Christian life. Peter goes on, he talks about sinful desires, literally fleshly lusts. That's not a phrase we use very often, but literally it means fleshly lust. And if you want a list of what he's thinking about, I'm not going to expand on that this morning, but jump to chapter 4, verse 3. Not now, later on, over lunch or whatever you do later on, have a look at it later. And just to say, I had to Google what carousing means, because I didn't know what that meant either. He goes on, verse 11, they wage war against your soul. Pastor and writer John Mark Comer says this at the beginning of his wonderful book, Live No Lies. He says, why does every day feel like a battle just to stay faithful to keep following Jesus? Here's an idea. Maybe because it is. And so this morning, if you kind of have just about got to church and you've kind of just got through the week, you're like, you know what, I'm not sure I can keep doing this. It's because it's a battle. Yeah, Jesus has won the war on the cross in his resurrection. The war is won. We know how the story is going to end. But it's a battle. 
And if you want to think a little bit more about that, can I encourage you to listen, if you're not much of a reader, download it on Audible, or read Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. Just such a helpful book, unpacking why it is a battle. Really, really helpful. Now, friends, we could dine out on that. This could be a sermon series just on verse 11. Okay? There's so much stuff in there. But actually, there's, there's some things I really want to hit home. Because we're beloved of Jesus, because this is not our home, because we are constantly under attack and we're at war, Peter calls us to live like this. Live such good lives among the pagans that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. If you've been around church much before, then you may recognize that Peter is riffing off of Jesus here. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, let your your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, friends, I know that this whole thing is inspired by God. This isn't just human beings, good ideas. The, The Spirit breathed this thing out. But I can just imagine Jesus in heaven as Peter's writing out this letter going, Peter, you got it. That's it. Let your light shine that other people might see you and they might look up. And so, so Peter has just riffing off of Jesus here. But it's not just for Peter to grasp. Friends, if we go back to Cambridge and riding bikes, it's a bit like one of the wheels. And this is not my bike from Cambridge, sadly. Uh, that got stolen, actually, when we moved to Derby, but that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> it didn't get stolen in, in Cambridge, which is quite a surprise, um, as they do go missing quite easily. But... One of these things, this bit is a bit like one of the wheels on a bike. Jesus is calling us to demonstration. Demonstration of the gospel, which means good news. Just turn to the person next to you and say demonstration. And when we say demonstration, we're not thinking placards and picket lines. We are thinking about demonstrating Think of it as a wheel of bike, demonstrating the good news of the gospel. Now, friends, there's good news and there's bad news that Peter tells us about. The bad news is that pagans were going to accuse them of doing wrong because they didn't like the Christian faith. And, of course, that's not just all those years ago. That's today as well. One of the books I read in this last week describes the West as ex-Christian. You know, we're kind of our beliefs and values were formed by the Christian faith. We've got buildings like this, and one's going back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But actually, as a culture, we have rejected and distorted things like compassion and equality and all other sorts of ideas. They flow out of the Jesus revolution of 2,000 years ago, but we've distorted them and changed them and often rejected them. And so people often reject Christian faith, and that makes it difficult. Now, friends, it's nowhere as near as hard as, of course, many of our brothers and sisters around the world. Millions of people live under direct persecution or threat of persecution. So, yes, we have it difficult, and it's getting harder, I think. But it's not like our brothers and sisters around the world. But there's some good news, so please don't worry. Peter is saying that in the midst of a culture that didn't follow Jesus, and he calls them pagans, Christians were to live such good lives... 
when they're accused of doing wrong, it would be like Teflon, and it would slide off. The other day we were in Asda, and um, because we wanted to buy something really good for our 20th wedding anniversary, we bought a frying pan. No, we didn't. It was just on cheap, and we, and we needed one. But I washed it the other day, and the water and the t- just flows off. And P- Peter is saying, do you know what? That's what, you wanna, that's what you're going to be like. You're going to be like Teflon, live such good lives, that though they might throw stuff at you, it's just going to slide off. But this applies to all of us, whether you have just rocked up this morning for the first time, or whether you were virtually conceived in a church, don't think about that. Um, All of us have got to respond to the call of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the one who lived such a good life, in whom even his enemies couldn't find anything wrong. You see, we look at Peter's description and it turns us towards Jesus. You see, we are effectively pagans. We're loved by God, but actually we're born in sin. And so we need our relationship with God restored. And as we see the goodness of God revealed in Jesus, the response is that you and I are called to glorify God. And so Peter calls us to such a good life. But friends, the goodest of life is Jesus. The demonstration of the good news and he embodies it he lived it out so beautifully and he calls us to follow him and so friends I want to ask you the question how are you responding to such a good life how are you responding to such a good life such a good death such a good resurrection Because we've responded to Jesus, then we too are called to demonstrate the life of the Jesus we follow. The late Bishop Leslie Newbigin, he often comes out when people talk about mission and sharing about faith. He said this, the only hermeneutic, which is like the lens, the way to interpret the good news, is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. I.e., the only way your colleagues and family and mates are going to see the gospel is if we live it, if we believe it, and we live it out. That's the only way lots of them are going to see it. People need gospel demonstration. They might see our deeds, and our longing is they're going to glorify God. Now, I know this is happening at St. Werberg's. I hear stories regularly. We share as a staff team when we get together week by week. And so I'm hearing stories. I know it's happening. I'm kind of preaching to the converted in that sense. But a few months ago, well, I I see it at St. Francis too. A few months ago, we held a residence meeting, um, which is for people on the estate to kind of meet their councillors. And we had all three councillors come and um, they sat at the front and I got to chair this thing, um, which was was a privilege, but also a bit nerve-wracking because things can sometimes be a little bit difficult. I thought, oh my goodness, how's this going to go? What are people going to complain about? What problems are there going to be? And one of our members started it off. And she took the mic and she said, I just want to say thank you for serving Mackworth. All three of you, all the the different political parties, I want to thank you for serving. And I want to thank you for putting your neck on the line. I want to thank you for caring about Mackworth. What can we do to support you? And the counsellors to my left and right, you could see their jaws drop slightly. And I was like, oh my goodness, this woman is giving a demonstration of the kingdom of God. In our midst, it's a small thing, but actually, I think it's shone out. 
In the summer, as a family, we had the privilege of, of going away and we ended up staying with some people we, we didn't know very well. And it's just amazing. We, we were shown something of that, that such a good life of Jesus in these friends. But the guy that um, we, we stayed with, he took us out for dinner and he took us out for breakfast because they were Americans and they just seemed to eat out all the time. And the thing that hit me was, we went into the place on the, on the evening and he's like, hi, um, what's your name? To the person behind you serving us. And they said, oh, this is my name. He said, hi, I'm Mike. And he shook their hand and got into a conversation with them and said, oh, I've got these Brits here and they've never been to this place before. And he just went off and started to talk to them and treated the person behind us, somebody beloved by God. I thought, oh, that's fun. You know, maybe it's just because he's American, but I don't think so. And then the next morning we went out for breakfast and he, he took us out and I got pancakes and syrup and it was yummy and lovely. But I remember these different people would come up and serve us and he'd say, hi, what's your name? And they would say, and he'd say, hi, I'm Mike, lovely to meet you, and shake their hand and we'd just begin to talk to them. And he wasn't even launching into the gospel, he was just loving them and showing they were beloved people by God. And I was like, that is a demonstration of the good news. Now, I don't know whether I should mention this, but um, there was an incredible football game a few weeks ago um, on Knightsbridge Rec in Mackworth. And um, the score doesn't matter. The score doesn't, <laughs> doesn't matter. St. Francis and St. Werber's, what mattered was us coming together and um, joining together and St. Francis playing St. Werber's. Um, but on a Monday evening, uh, some of the guys get together and play football. And I know we're trying to work out what our relationship is and how those things work out practically. But I have been amazed at the way that local guys have been like, there's something different in this group. It's about fun and fitness and fellowship. The guy that set it up puts those labels on it. And one of the guys in the WhatsApp chat just this week said, this place is being so helpful for my mental health. Like this place is just being so good. He's not followed Jesus. He doesn't go to church. But I feel in the midst of that group playing football, there was something of the demonstration of the good news of Jesus. But of course, you know, a bike like this is, I mean, this is sometimes what happens actually, you leave them on lampposts in London, but it's not very useful. Um, you can't go very far like that. We need another one. So what's the other wheel that we're talking about? If we want to turn to 1 Peter 3, 13 to 16. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. I think demonstration and one wheel is good, but we need another wheel. So we need to demonstrate the good news by how we live. But the other part is declaration. That's the other wheel. We need to declare the good news of the gospel. Some people misquote St. Francis of Assisi here. This is something he never said and he certainly never did. But they'll go, you know, preach always and if necessary, use words. He didn't say it and he didn't do it. Because he went around everywhere preaching about Jesus and he never said it. 
But I think what people are trying to get at there is they're saying we need to get our lives to match up and we need to get our lives to be so powerful that people see something. And yes, it's demonstration, but we need to give some commentary about why we demonstrate the good news. So Peter says, yes, again, it's going to be tough. But people, because of how we live, it's going to spark questions. It's going to spark questions in our minds. And I don't know about you, but that challenges me. Because I think about how I speak and how I treat people and how I interact online to people perhaps I've never met in person, but it's much easier not to do that online. Because actually, we want these to raise questions and then we get to declare what we believe. And Peter says here, always be prepared to have an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. So let's just break that down. Some of us are going to be hit by always be prepared to have an answer, to give an answer and have a reason. Because actually, if we're honest, we'd quite like to just keep it on the down low, not rock the boat. We don't really want to try and answer and have a reason because we're not sure we've got one and we're not sure how to express it. And friends, there's no condemnation here this morning. But if you know Jesus, you have a story. It may not go from gangs to God, but you've experienced his grace. And if you know Jesus, you have a story. And can I encourage you this morning, if you cannot tell your story in two minutes without using Christian language, so we don't want to hear about the blood of the lamb, we don't want to hear about those kind of phrases, like they're biblical and I love that, but actually think about your friend at work that doesn't understand those phrases. Can you express it, what Jesus has done for you, simply, concisely, that leaves them wanting more and not going, oh my goodness, wish they'd shut up. Can you do it in two minutes? No churchy language, but you have a story if you know Jesus. Others are going to be hit by, it's about hope. You see, sometimes as Christians, we can so focus on the bad news that we're sinful and alienated from God, which is true, that people don't hear the good news. It's about hope. Last night, Rachel and, and me and the kids were over at a friend's house from Mackworth. He invited us over for dinner and uh, cooked us dinner. It was a really good evening. He's not a Christian. He grew up in a, another place and um, kind of culturally comes from another faith. And in the middle of the evening, do you know what he said to us? He said, I love the fact that Christian faith is about hope. I love that it's about hope. I was like, oh, I'm going to have that. I mean, I'm really pleased he's seen that. But, um, and we have hope in our window at St. Francis. So as people drive past, that's hopefully some of the letters they see. But he grasped that the, the good news about Jesus is about hope. Can we share that hope? Some of us are going to be struck by, make sure you do it with gentleness and respect. Friends, it's so easy when there's things that are, you know, the Christian faith, we are children of God. Like This is our identity. And so it's really easy that when people say things that are not very pleasant about Jesus, and they do, that we can take it really personally. And we begin to lose something of the gentleness and respect. I don't even, I mean, maybe it's just me, okay? But some of us will be like, ah, oh, you know, I need to be a prophet for the Lord and all that kind of stuff. And yes, we need to speak truth to power, but we need to do it with gentleness and respect. But friends, we have the greatest news in the history of the world. We get to share it. Isn't that incredible? Freedom, purpose, identity, forgiveness, forgiveness. 
meaning. Those are things the world's looking for. We get to share that. And I see declaration worked out, this other wheel of the bike. One of our, should we call him a more mature member of St. Francis? Probably biologically nearer the end than the beginning, but who knows, Jesus could return and that could be for all of us. Um, He goes and plays table tennis every week. And I remember hearing him excited at the weekly prayer meeting on Zoom saying, I got to share with this person about Jesus and we got to pray for him. And because this guy is, he does live such a good life, it had prompted questions and he got to share the gospel, give a reason for the hope he has. I think of one of our guys who came back to faith this year after a 25 year hiatus. Like he grew up in and around church and Christians. His family's not Christian, but his mates were, and they took him to church. And then, like many of us do, he wandered off for a while, and because of all sorts of stuff, beginning of this year, he and his wife, they came to church, and we baptized her, and we redunked him. It was a beautiful thing. But in the midst of that, his family have asked questions. They're saying, you just seem so peaceful. There's something different about you. I can't put my finger on it. And of course, The demonstration of the gospel opens up the opportunity for the declaration of the gospel. I think of one of our young people who has just gone into year seven. Uh, So this person was in year six last year. And their friend at school was really struggling. And do you know what this year six did? They said, I know you're having a really bad time. Can I pray for you? And so in the middle of the program, this year six prayed for one of their friends. What a declaration of the gospel. I mean, just beautiful. And that challenges me as a 40-something-year-old man that a year six child can demonstrate and declare the kingdom of God in the playground with their friend who's hurting. I think of one of our farmers. That's a phrase I never thought I'd ever use about a church before I came to Derby. But we have a number of farmers over in Mackworth. And as a family, they demonstrate the kingdom of God. Like they're real about faith in Jesus. And every time we run Alpha, this guy's like, I think one of my colleagues, I could invite them to Alpha. And so we've had this stream of farmers. I mean, one time, one of our groups was full of farmers. I, I never thought that would happen, but it, but it did. And so, again, he, he spoke to me on Sunday. He said, Andy, when's Alpha starting? I said, we're starting. We're starting a little bit later than you guys. You guys are in September. We're starting a week behind you. Um, but he said, I think... I'd love to invite him to Alpha. And he got to declare something of the gospel of the good news. Just incredible. And so friends, just as with demonstration, declaration, we see it in Jesus. Jesus is such a good life. He declared the kingdom of God. He declared the good news. But these things have got to go together. We need demonstration and declaration. And this is going to fall over, isn't it, when I put this on? That's going to be interesting, but I'll try it anyway. Let's have a go. We need to put them together. And some of us will find demonstration easier. We'll find it easier to live the good life. And some of us will find it harder to do the declaration bit. But we're all called to all of it. So don't think you can get away with it and go, well, actually, that's not my thing. We're all called to all of it. And it needs to go together. But friends, in the middle, between the two wheels, is a crossbar. And of course, at the centre of this is another crossbar. But on that crossbar, 
the Son of God hung naked on a Roman cross with his arms outstretched, demonstrating and declaring the good news. And that's why we do it. 1 Peter elsewhere says this, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And it doesn't stop there. Peter also says in 1.3, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Demonstration and declaration together through and because of the cross. Friends, you get to do this over the coming weeks. Alpha is starting on the 26th of September. Who have you, through your good lives, been demonstrating the kingdom of God to? Who can you be praying for over these next few days? Do you know, a couple of months ago, well, it was five years ago, in this church, we had to tie knots in a thing that we put round our, um, around our wrists. And we had to pick people to pray for. I prayed for a number of people. I haven't been in Derby very long. One of those people in June, July, June, I think it was, came to faith in Jesus five years on. The other knots, not yet. But God knows. He knows them. And so, friends... Your job is to give these out. It's God's job to bring them. Don't say no for them. Just offer it out and see what happens. And so as your demonstration and your declaration of the cross of Jesus go together, we could see him change lives. We could see him transform the city and beyond. So I encourage you, you might be afraid, you might be worried, but to get on your bike, that's what I had to do in Cambridge, I was scared about it, I had to get on my bike. I had to start cycling away. 